Welcome to the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. My name is Dylan Wiseman. I'm a shareholder in Buckhalter's San Francisco and Sacramento offices. Uh, we're joined today by my two shareholder colleagues, uh, Leah Lively and Jeff Judd. Uh, Leah is up in Portland and Jeff is in San Francisco. Uh, so uh, today's topic is we're discussing the recently enacted uh, legislation that uh, adds to our business and professions code prohibitions on covenants not to compete. So with that, let me turn things over to Leah to, and Jeff to introduce themselves, and then we'll get into the substance. Hi, I'm Leah Lively, and I am up in Portland, but I practice in Washington, Oregon, and California uh, employment law. All right, and Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I am based out of San Francisco, and uh, I'm a litigator that does a lot of trade secrets and uh, trademark cases these days. So uh, recently, the legislative term ended yesterday. We're recording this on September 15th of 2023. One of the bills that has now become law in California was SB 699, which is deals with uh, restraint and trade provisions and makes modifications and adds a provision to uh, our existing uh, laws pertaining to covenants not to compete. So for context, uh, California has had a version of our prohibition on covenants not to compete on our books since 1847. I looked this up today. Uh, it was uh, recodified in 1941. And it's the, in my personal opinion, it's the the engine for California's uh, technology economy and for our innovative economy. Uh, it makes it so that you can have employees that have coffee in the morning with their current employer and then leave and go to a direct competitor and have happy hour with the new employer. And in California, uh, we celebrate people doing that, provided that they uh, are mindful of our restrictions on trade secrets or other specific exceptions to our statute. So uh, with that, I'd like to have um, Jeff discuss what's the scope of uh, our new business and professions code section and what does it do and what are the remedies are created? Sure. Um, the, the new code is found at business and professions code section 16600.5. And it's intended to clarify and strengthen the uh, prohibition against restraints of trade through non-competes um, and provides that uh, an employer or former employer uh, shouldn't attempt to enforce a contract that's void under our uh, res restraint of uh, employee mobility uh, statutes, uh, regardless of whether the contract was signed and the employment was maintained outside of California. Uh, it makes it uh, that any contract uh, that uh, restrains employee mobility or is considered non-competitive in any way uh, is void, not just voidable, but void. And uh, it provides that uh, any employer who tries to enforce such a contract uh, 
has committed a civil violation uh, and allows an employee, former employee, or prospective employee to bring a private action to enforce this chapter uh, for injunctive relief or actual damages recovery or both. And it provides for the recovery of reasonable attorney's fees and costs. Um, it's intended to state existing law uh, and to be consistent with existing law. And in many respects, it on its face seems to be. Um, but there's, there's, I think, uh, a couple of uh, features that, that are not evident uh, at first blush. And uh, one of the arguments provided by the legislators in supporting this provision, uh, they talk about uh, a non-compete agreement, uh, including what are referred to as training repayment agreements or training repayment agreement provisions, which are contracts between an employer and employee that require the employee to pay for training programs if the employee elects to leave uh, their job before uh, a set date. And I think that this discussion uh, is intended to signal uh, a very broad reading of what constitutes a non-compete. Uh, and I, I think it's intended to demonstrate that even a relatively modest restraint on employment more mobility will now be considered uh, in the same, to have the same legal effect as a non-compete uh, provision that says something to the effect that for a period of one or two or however many years after uh, you cease employment, you shall not work in uh, a similar capacity to to what you've worked in or a similar uh, business area uh, or similar territory if you're a salesperson. Those kinds of restrictions are pretty straightforward. I think that to the extent that there's any change in this new 16600.5, it's intended to broaden that. Um, and Jeff, can you also speak to how it applies outside of California? Uh, certainly, uh, the provision that that says, <clears throat> uh, regardless of whether the contract was signed and the employment was maintained outside of California, suggests that uh, it's intended to uh, apply to any uh, arguable non-compete provision or non-compete agreement that a plaintiff can bring uh, in California, in other words, to establish minimum jurisdictional uh, grounds. Uh, and I, I presume that's a minimum contacts basis. I assume that that would include extra jurisdictional employers who do business in California and have minimum contacts here. Uh, so can they presumably they can be held into California court and a an action uh, brought under 
600.5 to uh, render void a non-compete agreement and and they would be subject to uh, attorney's fees and uh, actual damages and, and the like. Um, I, I think that's going to generate some litigation at some point. To transition us over to Leah, there's a provision in the preamble to the statute that says that the California courts have been clear the California public policy against restraint on trade law trumps other states' laws when an employee seeks employment in California, even if the employee had signed the contractual restraint while living outside of California and working for a non-California employer. And so, uh, Leah, for you being outside of California, we were uh, sensitive to this issue. I mean, I'm all about in favoring employee mobility, but I want to make sure that our statutes are based on uh, California law as it currently exists. Can you discuss for us um, what happened with the uh, California Supreme Court's decision from uh, 2002 in Advanced Bionics Corporation versus Medtronics, Inc. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this fits into exactly what you were saying about the preamble to this new law is what has California's law been? It's very clear that California's law has been anti-non-compete and pro-mobility. But what's less clear is that California wants to apply things extraterritorially. Uh, and I think that's where the, the crux of this new law is going to see litigation. So if we talk about that case and it's advanced Bionics Corporation versus Medtronics, and like you said, it's a 2002 Supreme Court opinion from California. It has a factual setup that is pretty much what I think we're going to see arising out of this new law. In that case, there was an employer, Medtronic, who is based in Minnesota. They had an employee who was fairly high up on the development side of the business, unique business in developing medical devices. And that employee uh, quit and got a job with a new employer that was in California, and that's Advanced Biotics, and they were a direct competitor of Medtronic and his job was going to be what looks like, in the opinion, pretty closely to what he was doing at his previous employer. And the the procedural posture of that case was interesting on how it got set up is the employee went to the new employer, Advanced Bionics, and the same day that he said they sent a letter to the old employer, to Medtronic. They also filed a lawsuit in California uh, for declaratory relief, saying that the non-compete that he had signed while at Medtronic, while in Minnesota, violated California law and could not be enforced. And there they then said, we're going to move for a temporary restraining order. And there was a little bit of shenanigans with it going to federal court and then getting bounced back from federal court. But along those lines, Medtronic filed in Minnesota saying that the employee and the new employer had violated the non-compete and they sought a TRO as well and got a TRO and got a preliminary injunction. And I think where things really went wrong for the new employer was that they were trying to, their TRO was trying to or attempted to restrain old company 
from being able to do anything outside of California, right? You, you couldn't file somewhere else. You couldn't do any sort of legal, legal action that didn't take place in that California court. And the California Supreme Court really did not like that. And what they said is it's not that uncommon to have parallel state court actions in different jurisdictions, but it's very unusual to get it, to seek an injunction prohibiting a party from being able to have that lawsuit in another state, which is what they had tried to do in California, right? It wasn't just we win here in California, it was we win in California and P.S., you can't have a lawsuit in Minnesota or anywhere else. And the California Supreme Court didn't like that. They said parallel court actions create sovereignty concerns and comedy concerns. And they specifically said in dealing with comedy that California has this history of not trying to enforce its laws beyond its borders, which really is what this new statute looks like it's trying to do, right? You're talking about a lawfully formed non-compete agreement in another state, signed by the parties, meets all the requirements, that employee departs, nothing has been done to void the agreement, and now California is saying we're imposing our requirements for non-competes on a previous contract. And Although this wasn't directly being dealt with in the advanced bionics case, the court really didn't like the lack of comedy and they really didn't like enjoining proceedings. And they said that requires exceptional circumstances and we don't have those here. And they said, look, we understand that this is going to maybe be a race to the courthouse and there might be preclusive res judicata effects. That's fine. We're not going to deal with injunction. And the other sort of this wasn't part of the advanced bionics opinion, but the other thing that strikes me as a little bit odd about uh, saying California law favors our law over anyone else's is California really has a deep history of a presumption against extraterritoriality in state laws. Now, that presumption, which goes back to a 1916 opinion, says it can be rebutted when an act clearly expresses language to do that, which you have here in this new law. But as far as California history, California has not attempted to go extraterritorially, which this new law really seems to want to do. It's really interesting because um, Advanced Bionics versus Medtronics, it used to be when I started doing this a long time ago, we'd have these races to the courthouse to see who could file first. And yeah, situations where as a pup lawyer, as a associate, I was up you know, all night long preparing our papers so we could rush into court, drop them on the other side. And then at least we'd have the advantage of trying to stay the other side's claim from going forward in another state. So what Advanced Bionics versus Medtronics kind of threw out that whole approach and said, look, we're going to have a race to a final judgment. Yes. And we'll, we will yeah. recognize under the full faith and credit clause, uh, if you get a judgment first uh, in your state, then that judgment is going to have the weight that our constitution will carry with it, that you can take it from state to state. So I guess my observation under... Uh, this new statute is that it really is going to short circuit that process. And um, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about how um, we were discussing this before we started about how this is going to kind of shortcut that process as far as getting to a final judgment? Well, I, I mean, as a practical matter, I would envision that any employer who's 
brought into Cal any any non-California employer who's brought into California port uh, is going to fold pretty quickly uh, in in the face of this legislation. I think that presents post-pandemic, right? A whole new issue of where are your employees? Are your employees in California for three months of the year? Are your employees in California for nine months of the year? What does it, you know, what does it mean to have an employee in California? Yeah, and building on what Leah was saying on uh, extraterritorial application of California laws, there's a really interesting concurring opinion in Advanced Bionics versus Medtronics by uh, Justice Brown, who says that relocating to California may be, for some people, a chance at a fresh start at life, but it's not a chance to walk away from valid contractual obligations, claiming California's policy as a protective shield. So it's interesting that the legislature has now kind of effectively created a shield, uh, and we'll see what happens as that starts to unfold. So, in, yeah, in I, my I, experience, a lot of employees. Uh, are relatively naive, though. Yeah, until they go to leave, but for sure. But in the signing part of their, um, you know, when everyone's in the honeymoon phase of the employment relationship and people will agree and they're looking primarily at what are the benefits, what's the benefits package, where's my parking space, those type of things. And this is when uh, these type of restrictive covenants tend to be uh, offered, which leads me to my kind of other uh Point I wanted to raise to is that we have existing protections for a lot of this under California law already. Um, not to say that 16600.5 is bad in any regard. In fact, I wholeheartedly agree with it. Uh, but in 2017, our legislature passed uh, Labor Code 925. And what Labor Code 925 says is that uh, if you have an employment agreement with uh, that purports to apply, uh, make the employee adjudicate their claims outside of California or deprives them of the substantive protections of California law, uh, that then they can file a civil claim and pursue a basis for attorney's fees. So if you take that in the context of 16600, it largely accomplishes the same thing we already have. Is that? But the, the difference here is that Labor Code 925 uh, says that it you can't an employer shall not require an employee who primarily resides and works in California as a condition of employment. So that's where I see this as a, as a real change in our existing law is that this applies to basically uh, this being business and professions code 1600.5 applies to anyone who uh maybe even working outside of California, but th there's minimum contacts with California through the company or through one of its branch offices. So for California residents, I think that we're already largely protected. It's This is kind of speaks to the extraterritorial reach of this new statute. So it's I'm fascinated to see how this is going to unfold. And um, I think that we're going to be, I mean, there wasn't a lot of litigation that came out of uh, Labor Code 925 when it was enacted, but we'll see what happens. I mean, this is uh, a way that uh, lawyers could potentially seek to invalidate uh, covenants not to compete that reach outside of California, which is um, even by our standards unprecedented at this point. 
I agree. And just sort of as a practical point in dealing with this, whether employers choose to fight, which might be an expensive fight, although I do think we are going to see some employers from other states fight this at the at the outset. You know, if you have a high enough high enough ranking executive, there's going to be a fight about it. But you know, there's the statute, the new statute doesn't talk about confidentiality provisions and it doesn't talk about non-solicit provisions, which are still arguably, right? Confidentiality, I think, will always be valid in California. There's nothing you can do about it. But non-solicits, I think, start to get a little closer to what's the difference between a non-solicit and a non-compete. And I see a lot of and, you know, my employment litigation, we see a lot of non-solicits that are really non-competes in non-solicit clothing, for lack of better words, right? They're called non-solicits, but when you look at the actual language of them, we've successfully argued when we're, when we're on the side of the new company that it's really a non-compete. And then Oregon and Washington also have strict non-compete laws, then we say they don't apply. And so I think it behooves employers, no matter what, even if they're using non-solicit still, to make sure that that language is truly a non-solicit and not a non-compete uh, with the breadth of the new law that's going to get roped in to this, uh, you know, more difficult uh, scrutiny and uh, ability to have attorney's fees in a private right of action. Yeah, I think it's a great point, um, Jeff. Uh, why don't you go ahead? Well, no, I was, I was, I was just going to say, I, I think that that's, in my view, where the litigation is likely to occur is these kinds of other than clear non-compete agreements that have non-competitive affect, or that that can have non-competitive affect. Yeah, and unfortunately for us in California, we have some decent case law on this where um, our not, uh, customer non-solicitation terms are void unless they're to protect legitimate trade secrets. So I'm very weary of uh, customer non-solicitation terms. I think that you can get to the same place without all the extra legal heartburn uh by having a really strong confidentiality provision and i think that you know we keep coming back to that as a theme that uh in california that's that's your primary protection is that you need to have really strong well-crafted um confidentiality provisions uh with that i want to thank you both for your time and this has been our most recent episode of the bus Calter trade secrets and employee mobility podcast and i want to thank uh jeff and leah for their time and tune in for our next podcast be coming shortly. Thanks again.